Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. This week, as we continue our series, What About? We wonder, what about science? As we field questions about the relationship between faith and science, we will discover there's a lot to be learned from both disciplines that help us in the life God calls us to live. joining us for the first time, we are in a series, a teaching series called What About? And over the past week, a number of you have submitted questions about a particular topic where it seems like the faith of Christianity might have some conflict, might have some issues with. And today our topic is science. And uh, science is a... I was really happy whenever I got some of these questions because one of you asked the perfect question to start this conversation. It wasn't, you know, what about this thing and what about that? It it really frames how you move forward with faith and science. And just to share with you something from my own personal history, my favorite subjects growing up were math and science. I loved math and science as a kid. In fact, uh, it was the arts that sort of frustrated me because a lot of times math and science would give you a lot of definite answers. You make a proof and you get the logical conclusion from the different proofs or the different kinds of theories. And I, I always appreciated that. And because my brain was so stuck in black and white, and the funny thing is, is that as you learn about science, you learn how much isn't black and white whenever you get into some of the higher stuff. But elementary and high school science, they pretty much say, no, this is it, this is what we've learned, you know, this is what we know. But I would bring that black and white mentality to my faith. And a lot of times, and the, the environment around me often encouraged that black and white faith that I had. And it was... Here's the Bible, I believe it, I'm sticking to it, even though that there were a number of different kinds of theories in other disciplines, such as science and history, that seemed to rub up against what I read in the Bible, or what I believed in the Bible. And so, when I got called into ministry, which, again, that's a very, very faith-based term, uh, I didn't realize how many gray areas there were (laughs) when it came to faith. And as my time in school and preparation and, and even in ministry experience stretched me, I began to realize that there is a good conversation around faith and science. And too often, we're not having it. We would rather just say, I believe this and deal with it. And... (laughs) That's not very helpful, uh, particularly because, let's really be honest, science has given us a lot of wonderful things. Life expectancy, until recently, has, has been the highest it's ever been in the entirety of human race, in a lot of great ways. You think about how we are able to see in these flesh bodies that we have, to see problems that we never saw before. We think about the ability to have access to information maybe that we shouldn't have on, like literally, this is a sheet of paper. This is the size of a sheet of paper, and I've got 
unlimited ability to search for information. Science has done a lot of really wonderful things. And sometimes faith and those who have faith sort of just discount it, even though we take advantage of the science that has come. So today, we're going to ask the question, what about science? And there's three main questions that came out of what was submitted this past week. Are religion and science compatible? Do they have to conflict? Or can one believe biblical and scientific truths? How does the creation story contend or correlate with evolution? And this one will be really fun. It will be really fast. But what was the atmosphere like during Noah's day whenever the flood happened? I was really happy that was, that was brought in there. It's like a wild card in there. I like that. And so really to frame the other two questions, we start with that first one. Some, the person who asked this question, Nate, I'm just going to, it was Nate. He doesn't want you to know that probably. I don't know. But Nate asked this question, and I was so happy because this was indeed the way to start this conversation. Because so often we are told that religion and science are just, they're, they're just warring factions with each other all the time, when that's really not the case. When you begin to have a conversation about religion and science, you begin to recognize that they are different disciplines with different goals and different ways of going about things. And for the scientists who are in our congregation, this is going to be crash course, so don't hold it against me, okay? <laughs> so let's start with science. Science, the definition of science is this, the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Whew. In other words, what can we observe and what can we know about our world from those observations? It's probably the easiest way to think about it. So experience is a major part of science. Being able to quantify and qualify the things that we see or the things that we experiment with, right? And if you're remembering your old high school days, you remember that there is a what? Scientific method. It starts with a question. Huh. Why do, why do mosquitoes get attracted to certain kinds of light? That's like a question, right? So then you begin to make some research. And if there's been research done about mosquitoes and certain kinds of light, you might find the answer immediately. But if there's not an answer, then you go into a hypothesis mode where you have the thought, well, it looks like the mosquitoes go to this certain kind of light because of. And then what you do is you test it through experiment. Everything is actual hands-on observation of the world around you. And then, after the experiment, you analyze the data, and then you come to a conclusion. Now, sometimes there's enough data, there's enough analysis to make what we call a scientific law, where it's like, it's pretty much ironclad. It's that where I'm thinking of black and white kind of thing. Oh, yeah, mm, yeah, this seems to work. Isaac Newton's laws of motion is considered a scientific law, right? I remember the third one right now for some odd reason. For every action, there is an equal and opposite 
reaction, right? Yeah, you're all remembering all these. These are laws. And when it looks like there's really nothing else to test, we accept those. But then there's times when there's moments where the data doesn't give you a lot. It gives you a pretty good understanding of how the world works, but you can't necessarily say for exact sure that it's completely true. It's still testable, in other words. And that's when we get theories. And a lot of our theories are really true. Let's, let's really be honest with it. But there's some things that like, like for example, the theory of relativity. It's awesome and it appears to work, but until we really experience a black hole, we're <laughs> we, we can't really fully get there. But it's a theory. Science looks to what we can experience and to find and understand how the world works in that way. That's the question, that's the answers that it's looking for, and that's how it gets there. Religion, not just Christianity, religion has a far different scope of questions. Religion often asks the question of, who are we? If you probably didn't see that. There was just a fly that just came into my <laughs> world of view. Why fly? That might be more of a religious question. No, anyways. Um, <clears throat> who are we? What do we come from? Is there something bigger than myself? These are the kinds of questions that religion often answers or looks to provide at least some type of answer. And not all religions have a God involved. You can subscribe to a certain kind of religion and there's no deity at all. It's just a way of life. This is my morals. This is the way I see the world is. There are some people who make the case that everybody has a religion. It's just they're not willing to say that it's a religion because it's just the way that they believe and how they think and all those different kinds of things. I don't know if that's the best way of framing it, but that's what religion is. But in particular, Christianity believes in God. Not a God, the God. The God that is, has shown himself to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even just to say, I believe in God, you have moved out of science and into a confession of faith. You don't even have to believe in the Christian God. I believe in a God. You've automatically moved out of science because what happens? Is God incredibly observable? N not often. He can be, but sometimes you have to have a openness to experience God to do that. So there is this confession of faith as soon as you say that there is a God. What often happens is we get into the, the specifics of what science tells us and what this tells us. This is a Bible. And we're going to really, a lot of this is going to be around some misrepresentations of what this is. <laughs> because believe it or not, 
this is often portrayed in a certain way that it was never intended to be. Okay? So let's talk about the Bible. The Bible is a religious document. So it's, it's giving us answers to questions about who am I and how do I live and what are the morals of life and what is the structure of life and all those different kinds of things. It's not always based on, well, let's observe the natural world as it is and do that. This assumes, if you're reading this, that you believe in the God of this Bible. <laughs> And so, the Bible looks to share with us the identity of God, what he does, who we are, and how we are to live. Second Timothy, which I understand that this presents a circular rationale, but Second Timothy, Paul talks about Scripture a little bit. All Scripture... Go ahead and put this up. All, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Now, do you hear anything in that that talks about, you know, why, why do flies come into your face? No. <laughs> this is about understanding who we are as humans in our relationship to God and how to live. But here's the crazy part. I love it when pastors say, see, there's your proof, and things like that. This is coming from a scripture that Paul did not know was going to become scripture. <laughs> when Paul wrote these words, 2 Timothy wasn't a part of the Bible. His Bible was the Old Testament only. Why does he say this? Because he was a Jew. And Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus specifically took the Old Testament very, very literally. He accepted what was given before as a way of life. And so... We have to recognize that Scripture answers questions that aren't, that, that can't be asked of it. Did I say that right? Scripture asks a different set of questions, or answers a different set of questions than how sometimes science asks them. Does that make sense? So if that's the case, right away there is an ability for them to exist together in how we understand the world. But we need to be very, very honest about some things. There are moments when science tries to answer questions it cannot answer, and there are moments that faith tries to answer questions that it cannot answer. And that is where the conflict comes. That is truly where the conflict comes. For example, science being all based on experience begins to quantify and begin to wonder about the origins of the world. And we can find this material here that is also found here. 
and they begin to make some, well, point A to point B, we can begin to think that this is the way that it happened. In Scripture, it says God made everything. <laughs> so when you begin to get into the things that you cannot fully answer, that is when you begin to have some conflict. Science struggles with supernatural events. Doctors shake their heads when somebody is healed in a way that they didn't do anything to heal them. And it happens. Physicists are shaking their heads as they find subatomic particles that show up in two different places at the same time and then they disappear at the same kind of time and they're saying, is that the same particle? I don't know. <laughs> there are crazy things that are happening as we dig more and observe more in science, that they are a lot of, there's a number of scientists that will say, I don't know. It's really interesting though, whenever some scientists say, I do know, and they begin to not being able to be able to say, I don't know. In the same kind of way, when faith is looking to answer the question of who we are and who God is and all these other things, and they go into sci the scientific world and science has not observed that, yeah, that's whenever sometimes religious folks can say some things that are arrogant and beyond what they can do. So, I'm going to share with you our perspective as a church that is within our manual of the Church of the Nazarene, is in, in the great theological tradition of what Scripture is. Okay? We as... Church of the, as a church of the Nazarene, have a position that sees Scripture in the way that the fathers who put the Scriptures together saw it as. And you said, what? What did you just say? Guys, this was put together. Okay? This was put together by people who believed in God, and they sat in a council, and they said, these 66 books show us who God is and what He does and what we are to do about it. Okay? I know. Some, some, sometimes pastors act like this just like fell from heaven. Oh, look, we got it right from God. It's great. There are so many people who wrote the books of Scripture that were inspired by God to show us who God is. Okay? And that in of itself is a miracle. So this is what we believe the Bible is. We believe the 66 books of the Bible are given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us and all things necessary to our salvation. There are some people who say the Bible is inerrant, and so when it says this, I just believe it, which means that you can take any piece of Scripture whenever you say it's inerrant and then believe it even though there are pieces of Scripture that support genocide, that support slavery, that support racism. When you do that, you betray how God has revealed Himself to be in Jesus Christ and how He was revealing to a very, very, very 
flawed group of people. What the Bible does is it inherently reveals who God is and who we are and how he saves us. Take a big breath of relief because that is a freeing thing. Because when somebody comes up to you and asks you, why does the gospel, this gospel, say this about the last week of Jesus? And he gets betrayed on this day, but this gospel, he's betrayed on another day. When you say it's an errant completely, you're then accepting two different accounts that are different from each other and say, well, obviously, it reveals the will of God concerning us and all things necessary to our salvation. So it tells us who God is, and it tells us who we are, and it tells us how we can't do life by ourselves because guess what? We make mistakes and we're sinful we begin to understand that God is not a God who is just going to completely judge us just for who we are. He offers himself to us so that we might be redeemed to him and to the rest of the world. The Bible is not first a science book and not first a historical book. There's history there. Trust me, there are tons and tons of parts of this scripture that is historically accurate. You know how we know for a fact it's historically accurate? There are other, there are other ancient writings that confirm that what happened in here happened. There are archaeological evidences that what happened in here happened. But there are pieces, too, that gets a little shady. Because there's not a historical marker in the scripture. It's just a story. And we begin to wonder, well, where does that happen in human history? And that's what moves us to the difficulty of the second question. We're going to get there. I, just a side note. Okay? I love the History Channel, because it is totally bonkers. <laughs> the History Channel has shows that really do explore history in a really wonderful and comprehensive way. And then they have show on aliens. So, you know, <laughs> remember, they are for entertainment uh, a lot of times. But the History Channel, I, th I remember seeing this special a number of years ago where they looked at the, the account of Exodus. And you're talking about these plagues, these supernatural things that are recorded in Exodus. And one of the things that they talked about was all the water turning to blood, okay? There's a plague where all the water in Exodus turns to blood. And so they began to look back at this archaeologically, scientifically, historically, and they began to say, well, here's the thing. It wasn't really blood. We have evidence to show that the Nile had this weird sedimentary phenomenon where it turned the water red because of, because of sediment, because of dust, because of all these different kinds of things. And so some people take that and they go, see, it's, it wasn't blood. See, the Bible can't be, you know, you can't really rely on the Bible for that. Or 
is a pre-modern ancient world have any capacity to understand <laughs> sediment happening right there? Or they saw the water turn red and say, oh, that's blood. There's a different perspective there. It's still a miracle that it happened, whether or not it was sediment or if it actually was blood. It's a miracle that it happened and that we see evidence for it. That's when science and religion can indeed come together and give us some insight to things. So what about creation? What about Genesis? Because Genesis is a very, very interesting book. Genesis, because it's at the beginning, you think is probably the oldest book, right? It's not. Genesis was not written down the earliest time. Genesis was written later on in history, which tells you that there was not, God did not have a secretary as he's creating, hey, write this down, would you? On the first day, <laughs> he created. That's not how it happened. And so, when we begin to talk about evolution and the creation story, I want you to have some freedom. Okay? There's freedom in this. And the reason why there's freedom in this is because a pre-scientific non or in ancient people don't have the scientific questions that science has today okay the purpose of creation is far bigger than exactly how it happened okay so let's talk about first the theory of evolution okay it was observed by charles darwin wait charles yeah, Charles. I just know Darwin. And really, as he observed, he discovered that organisms adapt. Do you believe that you adapt in life? Yeah. <laughs> Something happens. I adapt. But he began to see on how organisms seem to adapt, not even just in the moment, but also on the cellular levels. Mutations happen that would give an organism a better ability to adapt to the environment that they're in. Now, we have seen adaptability through the years. In fact, in the past two years, we have seen a coronavirus adapt a number of times to make itself more contagious, more spreadable. That's a virus. But what about in humans? Believe it or not, the amount of melanin that's in your skin, that has changed depending on where you live. In colder environments, people tend to have lighter skin, if I'm remembering that correctly. 
Blue eyes are mutations. Eye folds. I found this out. I have eye folds. This is on a Wikipedia article, so maybe it's not real. I don't know. Supposedly, eye folds, like people who have pieces of skin that sort of cover parts, think that it's an adaptation to survive in colder climates. Whenever you're, you know, when you go outside and your eyes are like, oh, they're frozen over. The eye, anyways. And it's really interesting. We are beginning to discover that there are some humans in Cape Verde are resistant to malaria, which was never the case until recently. These are observations that Darwin and science has noted. Okay? Organisms adapt. And a lot of us will say, yeah, I agree with that. And so what science has tried to do is create a timeline of those adaptations based on experiments such as carbon dating, of observing, all of those different kinds of things. And then you read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you start to wonder, well, what about the adaptation and what about all these other things? And you find that in six days... Six days, according to the scriptures, God created. And when you see days, you're like, six 24-hour days? Whoa. So if that's the case, and we take the Bible at its, if we use it like a scientific or history book, you'll come to the conclusion that the world is only a few thousand years old, even though observations have shown that things are older. That's when the conflict comes. Or do we need to look at creation in the way that a religious document would want us to look at it? It's revealing who God is. It is revealing what he does. It is revealing a way of life and a structure of life. And when you begin to go through the account of creation you'll notice some really interesting things. It's very poetic. There's a, there, like seriously, the creation account in chapter one has the structure of an ancient poem. One, four, two, five, three, six. If you look at what was created on the days. And you also begin to recognize that the creation story was told by mouth for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it was finally written down when Israel had a monarchy, when Israel had more than it ever had before. And there's no historical markers for creation. Yeah, we get a genealogy, but we don't know exactly when it happened. So it doesn't really check the boxes of science very well. But it does give a vocation and a purpose and a reason for life. It gives answers to different questions. And in Genesis chapter 1, 28 through 31, we read these words, okay? I, I need you all to hear this. Okay, ready? God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. 
take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants of the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. And to all wildlife and to all the birds of the sky and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made and it was supremely good. There was an evening and there was a morning, the sixth day. And then God rests on the seventh day. When we see this, we see God creating in a way. We don't get the necessary how perfectly, but we get to see that creation was designed to be good and to be together. And humans had a big part in creation. We were called to basically share God's image with the rest of creation. And when you say God's image, you begin to recognize that God loves us. And we are called to love and steward the world that we are given. And we learn something about God. That God is that person, is that being that created and gives us meaning, gives us a way of life, gives us something to do. And that God is really stinking powerful. Does it matter if it was six 24-hour days? I think you make a mountain out of a molehill if you say yes to that. If you were to ask me, do I believe in a literal six-day creation, I would tell you that I believe in a God that can actually create in six days. That's what I believe, okay? I know that's like, oh, that's sort of a loophole out of there. Because honestly, I'm willing, to be, I'm willing to say I don't know about some of these observations that we have made. And you don't have to have the answers to all of it. What we have are the answers to who God is and who we are and how we're to live. The issue comes if you take on the theory of evolution and assign it to God. Because evolution believes, quite frankly, that adaptations and mutations occur so that the fittest will survive. There is a competition. There is a, you need to be the fittest to survive. Well, this mindset becomes a philosophy and basically says, do what you need to do at all costs to adapt and to survive. That's not the message we receive from God throughout the entirety of the scripture, and especially through Jesus, who was an historical man who historically died and historically rose again from the grave. So the philosophy is, do what you can to survive, 
That's not from God. So if we begin to say, well, God used evolution, be careful with that concept because what happens is, is you begin to accept the survival of the fittest mentality instead of the radical generosity and love and communal life that God has shown to people in history and through Jesus, his son. Do you see that? That's where there's conflict and where you have to be careful. It's also so important, friends, to recognize that it's not surprising that Darwin observed survival of the fittest. When we have in the third chapter of Genesis a story of how humanity doesn't live like God wanted humanity to live, and it plunged all of creation into sin and darkness. It's not surprising that the natural order of things doesn't look like the God who set things in a good order. Again, they talk to each other. So friends, when it comes to creation, when it comes to science, when it comes to religion, it's important to realize that when the Bible is answering questions that science cannot answer, and when science is answering questions that the Bible cannot answer, it's okay. Receive what answers the Bible gives us. And this is what creation tells us, y'all. It affirms this. I've got a slide for this. The creation affirms that creation is good. It was good. There's not bad. It was not originally intended to be bad and chaotic and all these different kinds of things. It was good. You and I were intended to be good. And you and I hopefully want to be good. Creation's story shows that God gives humanity the task of caring for the creation. I can't tell you how many people have said, rule over creation. And they, you know what they do? They take the sinful version of rule. <laughs> we can take the world and use it for what we want it to be. No! We are stewards. We're to care for it. And if science observes that the world is in significant trouble, maybe we need to pay attention to maybe take care of the world in a little bit better of a way than we have. And lastly, as image bearers, as people who are, who bears God's image, we are to reflect God in our relationship with God and with others and with creation. We are called to love as he has loved us. That's what creation account is about, everybody. Did it happen in six 24-hour days? Maybe, probably. Jesus believed that it did. Of course, if Jesus in a pre-scientific world went up to a bunch of, you know, just normal 
ancient Middle Eastern people and said, hey, guess what? Let me tell you something. Guess what? Creation was way longer than you thought, I think. <laughs> Their minds would have been like, gone. Like, they would say, crucify him immediately. Jesus was ministering to a people of a certain amount of understanding of the world. It's okay not to have a complete answer. But what you get to know is that God loves you and wants us to love him and love each other and take care of the world that he has given us. Last but not least, the wild card one. What was the atmosphere like before the flood in the days of Noah? I don't know. <laughs> when this person asked me this, uh, this person said, just, you know, I, I hear about the ozone hole and things in Antarctica. I'm like, was that a thing back in the day and things like that? Observation of scientific research guesses that there were issues back then. I did find a very interesting article about the flood and how there is a huge fossilized piece of mud in the Iraqi area, which is where they believe that the flood happened. Like, a huge, huge layer of mud. Like, there was a significant amount of water here at one point. And I think it was 29,000 BC, they, they, they think it might have been, or, or something of that nature. And at that point, they talk about how they think that there was glacier melt that time, and there was a, it was a lot more rainy area of the world. But these are theories based on observations that we can't fully get to. They're theories. They're still testable. I can tell you this, that the account of Noah is talked about in more religions and more cultures than just Judaism. There's a flood story almost worldwide in almost every single culture. It's a very interesting thing. <laughs> but again, what the flood story is about isn't did the water really encompass the entire globe or was it just more localized and they couldn't see any further? No, it's not that, about that at all. It's about a God who loves his creation and has the temptation to completely wipe every single human off the face of the earth and yet can't quit us. He loves us and he says, eh, this guy Noah, this guy Noah loves me. There's still good in this world. He's going to make it through this. And restarts. We also find a God who is dynamic and can change his mind. These are the things that the flood is about. That God doesn't want to destroy the world, even if it's very far gone. That God wants us to be people who care for each other and not give in to the survival tactics of war and theft and sin. So what was the atmosphere like? I don't know. 
but I don't know if science can give us the answer perfectly, and Scripture doesn't give us the answer. But we do get an answer that God loves this world and hasn't given up on it. And that's a good thing. In all of this, friends, we need to recognize the ability to be open. That we are to be united not on the perfect scientific explanation of events that are found in Scripture that cannot be explained scientifically. We're to be united on who God is and how he has shown himself to be and who we are and how he saves us. Let's be united that we are created beings. Let's be united that he has given us the world to bear his image to in love and peace and goodness. Let us be united and caring for each other, pulling each other up, and not leaving people just to, to survive or to their own devices. Let's be united as stewards of creation. Let's be united in that God loves us and does not want to destroy us and does not want us to destroy other things. Let us be united in that Christ shows us who God is. He is love. He is grace. He is truth. And He has shown so in the historical events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You ain't going to find a body, y'all. Nobody's found a body and nobody's going to find a body. Let's be unite, united, friends, that the Bible tells us and shows us and gives us answers to the questions that there is a God who loves, who creates, who sustains, who saves and redeems. Let's be united in that. And let's have liberty in some of the gray area. All right? Let's have some liberty in the gray area. Because if we make a mountain out of a molehill, we end up alienating people and hurting people and, quite frankly, hating people who don't agree with us. And that's never a reason to hate. And that's never a reason to not be who God created us to be. Stewards of this world, people of love, people who is like him. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.